0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. Sometimes that sword separates from other people. I like to call this particular message a healing mess. There's often times that Jesus doing something good created a mess, but it helped to clean up another mess. We'll go to the Word of God together and find out all about what God can do in your life. Let's go
1: together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study
0: the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. It's great to have you here today. I want you to open to Matthew chapter 20. While you're finding that, again, thank you to all those who are just watching for the first time. Those who may be coming back for third, fourth, fifth time, thank you, but for those who've been watching me for years, thank you so much. And all this is made possible again by the power of God and also by your giving and your prayers. And so I thank you for becoming partners with me. And for those of you watching that would like to become a partner with me, we'll talk about more of this during the break, that you can find out how you can become a partner with me in this ministry. And so go to bobyandian.com, you'll find a place there where you can join me in this ministry of teaching, cause that's what God's called me to do. I was a pastor for 33 years and that's what I'm still doing is pastoring. And I pastor to people that just wanna know the word of God. I'm not your pastor, I am a pastor. You have a you have your pastor at your church, but again, I'm just a pastor teaching you from the word of God. If you enjoy this, then don't give me your tithes. That belongs to your local church. Send me an offering. And you just be led by the Holy Spirit or as you purpose in your heart to give. I thank you ahead of time for just being obedient to God and just being, again, cordial. And thank you for being obedient to uh, give to the ministry because the word of God declares it. So again, thank you so much. Go to BobYandian.com. You'll find a place on there where you can become a partner. With me, Matthew chapter 20, we're gonna take a look at a section of scripture here in verses 17 through 33. And I call this a healing mess. What in the world is a healing mess? You know, sometimes to make things better, you have to make things worse. Sometimes you create a mess that cleans up the original mess, but you're so used to the original mess, it's almost like it's just status quo. You know, uh, uh, numbers of years ago, we used to have oil well fires. What they found out was that, you know, the fire, they couldn't put it out, didn't have any idea how to put out an oil well fire because fire was going up everywhere. And uh, finally, some man, Red Stevens, came in and declared, you know, here's how you do it. And he put dynamite in it. I mean, a lot of dynamite, and it made such a gigantic explosion. It sucked all the oxygen out of the air, and the fire went out. Amazing. You did a bigger mess to create a mess and to clean up a mess, and that's exactly what happened. And so we find this in the Word of God. There's times when Jesus would do a healing, like when he healed the man at, uh, you know, the pool. Man, it caused a great commotion going everywhere, but this man's healing. They got so used to him being in this condition, didn't know what to do with him after he got healed. Then the Pharisees came and questioned him all over again. And then there was a blind man they questioned all over again, questioning and questioning. But the mess that Jesus created helped to clean up another mess. I've seen this happen so often with people that go back to areas to pastor. And uh, they were a mess when they left there. You know, people saw the mess they were. And they, I remember them coming to Bible school and they'd often say, well, you know what? I'm never going back to where I came from. I was just a hellraiser. I just, you know, I, the people knew me. I won't go back there. And yet God will call you back there. He brings you back. And what they see, and what happens is the church begins to progress. People start getting saved and people don't know what to do with it. In fact, you come back and through your healing mess, you clean up a mess that was there before. We find this in Jesus' ministry. Here in chapter 20, verse 17, it said, Jesus going to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, to mock, discourage, and to crucify him. The third day he will rise again. What's this, right in the middle of his sentence. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons and kneeling down asked something of him. He said to her, what do you want? She said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Jesus has just been telling his disciples how he's going to have to go to the cross and die, be betrayed by his own people, turned over to the Romans, and neither of these sons or the mother cared about what he had to say or his mission, but came with a personal agenda. Jesus cut to the chase with mama when he said, why did you come and what are you here for? It was really a question from the sons who got their mother to ask for them, Who can say no to a mother? Simply comes back to this. The mother came and said, can my son sit on your right hand, left hand the kingdom? He wasn't even talking about that. She interrupted him, telling about the whole mission of why he came to go to the cross. Jesus now directs his question to the sons who asked that. And in verse 22 and 23, but Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you asked for. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm able to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? They said to him, we're able, notice they're the ones that responded. They're the ones that wanted to know. They just got mama to ask for them. And the mother didn't ask. The sons responded and said, oh, we're able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism I baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give you, but it's for those for whom it is prepared by my father. I imagine they got angry. The mom got angry, but through their anger, what he did was clean up a bigger mess. And so in this verse of scripture, I want you to notice something here. People have often said this and said, well, Jesus was gonna go to the cross. Was he saying they're gonna have to go to the cross? They're gonna die the same way? No, what he was saying was my cup and the baptism I'm about to be baptized with, you're gonna suffer that in your own life. After I'm resurrected from the dead, your life is going to be literally lived in front of people. You're gonna cause all kinds of controversy. You're gonna find out what real oppression is like. You're gonna find out what real resistance is like when all of a sudden, People come against you. The Pharisees come against you. The Romans will come against you for preaching this gospel. You have no idea. And he says to them ahead of time, now, will you be able to drink of the cup that I'm going to be... uh, baptized with. In other words, he was not saying they're going to go to the cross. He's the only one that can die for the sins of the world. But he's simply saying, because I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to become a, a scourge among people, I'm going to be raised from the dead. But here's the point. You are too. And mine to be by my death. Yours is going to be by your life when you live it before other people. So Jesus asked him if they would be willing to drink of his cup of cursing. And they said, yes, they have no idea what they're saying. They have no idea what's coming about. But when Jesus said they would take his cup again, he didn't mean the cross, but persecution for being a Christian. In essence, what Jesus suffered on the cross, we suffer in part when we live our life out. And when the other 10 disciples heard it, they only thought of themselves. And they were angry with these two who asked, and now they miss the point of what Jesus made. And so Jesus now presents to them what the heart of a servant is. In verse 24 down through verse 28, Jesus says this, when the 10 heard it, this is the rest of the disciples, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are a great exercise authority over them. He said, you know around you that the Gentiles are being controlled And they're controlling the Jews. The Jews are being controlled by the Gentiles above them, and Rome eventually exercises authority over us. Yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Jesus, as the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but served, and came to give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus is saying here is, you look around you, and you're getting caught up in the world system. The world system is to simply say, we're going to exercise authority over you and make slaves out of you. And this is what Rome is doing to Israel and to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not doing to these new Christians. And it just goes on down the line. He says, but you know what? Each one's trying to rise up by stepping on somebody else. It simply comes back to this. Your candle doesn't burn brighter because you blow everybody else's out. He simply says here, why don't you help to lift up others and you'll be lifted up yourself. Jesus even made a statement one time. He says, when you go into a place to eat, he says, and you're there and you're invited to this big banquet. Don't look for the most important place. Sit at the lowest place possible. You know why? Because there's nowhere to go but up. If you sit in the higher places, you may have to go down. And that's embarrassing. But if you sit in the lowest place possible, you will never, ever be embarrassed because the only way uh, uh, in, uh, to move is to go up. Jesus learned servanthood. Through what he suffered. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 says this Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things he suffered. The two sons brought this mess by their question to sit on Jesus' right hand and left hand, and like a sword that divides, Jesus' answer brought a bigger mess, but one which would heal the other mess. Do you understand that? Jesus had these two disciples come to him with their mother, and the mother wanted to know if her sons could be there. Jesus brought a question, are you able to a drink of the cup that I'm going to drink of? They said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he said, that's fine. You will, but you are not going to have a choice to sit on my right hand and left hand. The disciples missed the whole. Point. They got mad at the two that brought this question, and they begin, and all of a sudden, what started out as one woman now has gone to all 12 of the disciples. They're all yelling and stuff. And Jesus, by answering this again, he's going to bring about a bigger mess, but the bigger mess would start healing the original mess. And that was this. The reason why you're all yelling and screaming at each other is because you consider yourself better. And you don't want somebody to get one upmanship on you. He simply said, Why don't you settle down and listen? If you get the lowest seat around here, who gets Gives a rip. There's nowhere to go but up. On the other hand, we're not trying to go up, we're trying to serve people. And by serving people, you'll be able to be promoted yourself. Jesus was the greatest example of this. Jesus came into this earth and took upon himself the role of a servant, came as a human being, came to serve all mankind, even washed his disciples' feet in John chapter 13 and humiliated his disciples. When they saw him, they were backing up, going, No, 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 no. This is for servants to do. Man, it's when we walk through the streets and we, get, and we get dirt on our feet and dung on our feet from horses and from donkeys and from all this, and the mess is in the street, we walk into a building, they have servants that wash your feet. Jesus, what are you doing? He took upon him the role of a servant. And that's why we're even told of Philippians, esteeming others better than ourselves. When we accept the lowest rung, again, there's nowhere to go but up. That's why Jesus is now telling them, quit striving with each other. You are imitating the world. You're imitating Rome. You're imitating the Pharisees around you. On top of that, you're imitating Satan who tried to go to the highest position in the universe and overthrow God and got cast out. If you want to rise in the kingdom of God, accept the role as a servant and begin to minister to those around you and immediately probably all 12 of these disciples just shut up and so did the mother, they realized something, they were totally out of line. And it took a humble man to show that to them because what they lacked in their own life was humility before others. What do we learn from all of this? Maybe you're wanting to get into ministry. Maybe you have a desire in your heart to to step out and you've got some goals in your life that you wanna go uh, and minister someplace. The first thing you think of is, who can I go to sub-minister and begin to tell them what I'm called to do? How about I present myself to a great missions organization and talk about how great I am? Why don't you just start out serving children in church? Why don't you start out opening doors for people. Why don't you ask around there, can I vacuum around here? Can I clean the toilets? You know, here can I come in during the week and just volunteer and help around here? Whenever Jesus found people that he put into the ministry, they were working at the time. What God wants is someone who will just take the lowest position possible. Prove yourself there. You say, yeah, but men can't see me back here in this room. Promotion doesn't come through people. It comes through God. And God knows where you are, sees where you are. And if people won't promote you, God will see to it that you are promoted promotion comes from God. When we come back, we're going to talk about another time when Jesus created a healing mess, when two blind men received their sight. In the meantime, we'll be back in just a moment. This is halftime coming up, and you can find out about the offer that I have for you about the healing book. You'll be blessed by it.
1: How much faith do I need to be healed? In The Grace of Healing, Bob Yandian answers this question and reveals the missing ingredient to the healing you've been praying for, grace. Throughout church history, the doctrines of grace and faith have been taken to separate extremes as they relate to healing. The result is that many believers struggle to receive healing from God. Those on the side of grace deny the need for faith, believing that God only heals a select few. For those who only see a need for faith, the pursuit of healing becomes a legalistic struggle to change God's mind. Pastor Bob takes a different approach. With practical biblical teaching, that balances both elements of grace and faith. You'll find the healing you've been waiting for when you find the missing ingredient of grace. To order The Grace of Healing, visit bobyandian.com.
0: March the 7th through the 9th, I'm having my minister's conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Joseph Z will be joining me and I want you to join me too, no matter what phase of ministry you're involved in, March the 7th through the 9th.
1: Theology Simplified is a practical guide to foundational biblical truth. Basic doctrines are not difficult, but easy to understand. They often become disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, but the definitions are simple. Pastor Bob makes complex theological concepts clear and practical. Eight crucial doctrines are demystified. Redemption. Justification. Sanctification. Reconciliation. Predestination. Election propitiation, and glorification. These eight precepts, essential for all believers to understand, come to light as you read and arrive at a deeper understanding of the finished work of Jesus Christ. To order Theology Simplified, visit our website at bobyandian.com.
0: Welcome back. Let's take a look at verse 29 verse 33 of this particular chapter. And we're talking about when Jesus healed two blind men. I think what runs parallel in this particular chapter is the fact that Jesus loved to create a bigger mess than there was originally. And the mess was called a healing mess. That's why I call this a healing mess. I have a book called The Grace of Healing. You've already heard about it during halftime. They talked about it. I just want to emphasize to you, it's a great book. And my favorite chapter in here is chapter three. I'm not even tell you what chapter three is all about, you gotta get the book and read it. And when you read you're gonna go, oh my gosh, somebody finally said, what I've known for years. That's in this book. The chapters in here have to do with the grace of God that brings healing to us and the fact that God has placed healing all around us. All we have to do is receive it by faith. And of course, you'll be blessed by it. So again, be sure and get your copy of it. Verse 29 through verse 33 says this. Now, as they went out of Jericho, this is after the mother, the 10, uh, you know, the two, her two sons causing havoc among the other 10, a lot of griping, complaining and arguing going on and Jesus having to settle it. By by simply saying, come on, take the role of a servant, take the lowest position possible, quit trying this one-upmanship and try and be better than somebody else and getting mad at somebody else, they might get something better than you. Now, as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed them and behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. Immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Jesus just humiliated an entire multitude because the multitude didn't want these men that were blind to, to grab attention. They're simply saying, Jesus is so important. Let's don't bother him. And they were caught up in themselves as following this great man. And they didn't want these two blind men over here that everyone looked down on, didn't think a thing about them and told them to shut up and not bother Jesus. Jesus stopped because why he's always interested in humble people. And even though these men were crying out for healing, notice what they said, have mercy on us. Having mercy on us is an explanation of, Lord, we don't deserve this. We are blind men. We're beggars. We're sitting here. We don't deserve it. But would you have mercy on us? And man, that always grabs Jesus' attention. God loves it when we cry out for mercy. If there's anything God's proud of, it's his grace and his mercy. And of course he touched them and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. The common consensus of the people was, to lord it over the men who needed healing and then to forbid them to bother jesus who gave them authority to forbid these men to see jesus they didn't even ask jesus They decided, as the mother had just done, to intervene and come in and make excuses for her sons and try to get Jesus' attention. And these men are now in this multitude trying to stop these two men from gaining attention the correct way, crying out for the mercy of God. You cry out for the mercy of God and you'll cause Jesus to stop. You'll cause all heaven to stop and answer your prayer. This is what God is looking for. This is why Jesus came. Jesus again cut to the chase just like he did with the mother, and said, what is it that you want? And so again, he asked the two men what they needed and what they wanted from him, and they asked to have their sight restored. Jesus insulted the crowd, caused a mess that healed the two blind men. Notice the mess that they had just caused, and Jesus now causes a greater mess, and shows the the crowd he's compassionate toward people, and humiliates them, but you know what? They needed humiliation to be shaken back to reality, And that was the fact Jesus didn't come to be some super guy. He didn't come for notoriety. He didn't come to get a big multitude. In fact, there's times when Jesus spoke and commanded toward the multitude. There was one time Jesus even split the multitudes, gave them a very impossible thing. Can you eat my flesh and drink my blood? And they just looked looked at their watch. Well, look at this, it's time to leave. And they all headed out. They thought he was talking about cannibalism. He wasn't, but he caused a mess that separated those who really weren't interested in going any further with him. And then he looked at his own disciples and said, you two gonna do the same thing, all of you? And of course they said, no, sir, we don't know exactly what you said, but only you have the the way to eternal life. Take a look with me at Matthew chapter 21. And here we have in these verses of scripture, take a look at verse 10 through 13. When he came to Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple, drove out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Again, Jesus brought about a healing mess What did he do? What they were doing was unscriptural. What they were doing was irreverent. That's not what the house of God was made for, but they had been so accepted that the people just thought this was normal activity to sell these uh, sacrifices in the temple. If you didn't bring one, you could buy one. Of course, they were making huge amounts of money for those who came and uh, didn't want to drag, you know, uh, uh, a lamb with them all the distance or a ram with them all that distance. And they would just buy one when they got there. But of course, it became a huge business. And Jesus simply said, my house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a place of iniquity, making profits on business. Nothing wrong in a church with having a bookstore, something like that, but to use it for huge profits, that's not what it's for. It's there for a simple service. If they'd have been selling these things for just basically just a little bit of money profit, just a tiny bit, he wouldn't have had anything to say because why, it was a service to the people, but they turned it into a money-making business and that is not what the house of God is for. So by throwing out the money, changers, turning over the tables. He created a mess, but guess what? It was a healing mess. I'm simply here to tell you, sometimes we ask God for his will and he points us to a big mess. We go, oh my goodness, how am I going to handle that? The point of it is, is God can oftentimes put you in the middle of a mess so that he can watch you clean it up. And sometimes your life goes into a mess just to clean it up. What God is simply saying is, follow me. Sometimes it doesn't look good in the beginning, but it will look later. I can't tell you how many students I have had Then again, like I told you, said I'm not going to go back to my hometown, but they went back and actually they even said, my parents were so ashamed because I left the Baptist church, the Methodist church, the Lutheran church, whatever church we came out of. My mom and dad were there. My grandparents were attending there. My other family members were there. And I left that fold and went off to this Bible school, which they thought I was in a cult, and would tell me it was a cult because what? We believe in salvation by faith. We believe in divine healing. Speaking with tongues, oh my gosh. And again, that that indicated we were in a cult. They said God brought them back in there and their parents were humiliated that they came back and even further humiliated, they started a church. And all the family's thinking about is our family reputation. We've got a great reputation for years in this church over here. Now you're going starting a church and we you're bringing this cult activity back into the city. And yet I've talked to those, those students who went back and started that church three, four, five years later, they said, listen, my mom and dad just visited one time, sat in the back row and suddenly got a vision of what we were called to, came and asked us to forgive them. And now they're some of the best people in the church. My mom and dad had now been spirit filled. Uh, my grandma has been healed of this or that. And now my what happened was God brought you back to start a bigger mess to actually straighten out a mess that was there. This is what Jesus quite often does. So again, Jesus made a healing to make the temple a house of prayer instead of the selling of merchandise. They complained about Jesus wanting to heal in the house of God, but they allowed the selling of merchandise. Isn't this nuts? Jesus came to settle people's needs, to heal the sick, raise the dead, bind up the brokenhearted, but they were complaining about that, but actually applauding the selling of merchandise in there when one was scriptural, that's what Jesus did, the house of prayer, which actually prayer is, can be used greatly for the healing of people. We find that in James 5, is there any sick among you call for the elders of the church, but they allow the selling of merchandise, but the house of God is the right place for prayer and for healing. Healing messes often is the right direction creating a mess we or Satan have made in the wrong direction. A mess leaves an open door for God to work in our life. What a great thing. Go back to Matthew chapter 10. I want to take a look at a couple of verses of scripture, verse 34 and verse 35. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and against his daughter, against his mother, against his daughter-in-law, against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those from his own household. Man, it comes back to this again. I've told you these stories, but I, I think in my own life that how many friends I had in school. And of course, when I was in school, high school, junior high and stuff, I was I was not a immoral, an immoral kid. I didn't hang around the wrong crowd, but people never knew I was that much of a minister. All right, and I came from a ministry family. When I got my first job, I didn't go around flaunting the fact that I was a Christian, but you know what? They began to notice by that time I was different. And in high school, they thought I was different. They just thought I was a nerd. That's basically it. You know, my dad asked me one time, what do you want to be? And I said, I don't know. I guess work on cars. He just, he couldn't believe that. He says, Bob, anybody can do that. He says, what What do you have for in your heart? I didn't know what I had in my heart. It wasn't until my third year in college where the Lord told me I would be a teacher in the body of Christ. I suddenly had direction in my life. And I went back. But you know what? Uh, I began teaching at Ramah. A couple of the students that came, a man and his wife. I didn't recognize her when we came back, but she had been in my in my school from the time I was in elementary school, junior high, high school, even into the years of college. I was she was in the same college I was. I didn't even notice it. But after she got saved and her husband got saved, he got saved through full gospel businessmen. They started attending our churches. She was set in churches, she said to her husband, I went to high school with that guy. She didn't even know I was a Christian. The point of it is, is now he's saying the same thing here. Whenever you get saved, he said, don't think I've come to bring just a wonderful thing left. I've actually come to bring a sword. I'll divide you and divide you from your moms and dads, your daughters, your sisters-in-laws, your mother-in-laws. I'll cause these things. But a man's enemies will be those from his own household. He said, I've actually come to bring a sword. That sword is actually a sword, not for division. It causes division at first, but it's for healing just like a scalpel opens up your skin and and does that, and it's really made to cut open but it's made to cut open for healing that's what the word of god is this is the sword of the word of god the word of god is alive and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and the spirit, but it's there for healing to help you understand yourself. This is what the word of God is for. And it will cut through the things you've learned in life, cut through what the world has said about you, cut through what education has taught you in this world and show you the truth because the truth of God's word is his sword that divides. But what's it divide for? So it can bring healing. How many times have I seen again Children separated from their moms and dads. Moms and dads separated from children. Others, friendships divided because of the word of God, but yet those friendships eventually bring people back. One of the men saved in the church that I pastored worked with me. He was a rounder. I mean, he went around. This guy had women everywhere. He lived in bars. He lived in nightclubs. And then he, we worked with each other. I told him about the Lord while we worked there. And later on, one day in a church service, I gave an invitation and he came walking to the front to receive Jesus. Oh, the mess that he came out of was settled by another mess. Jesus came to set his life right. What a wonderful thing. I will see you next time.